Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Hook, Line, and Sinker. A lot takes place before a fisherman makes his first cast. And much like fishing, Christians must be equipped with the right tools to share the gospel and to make fishers of men. Our prayer is that you understand what those tools are and that you have the boldness to share what Jesus has done in your own life. Good morning. Surprise, surprise. It's me again. Two weeks wasn't a long enough break, was it? I, uh, fresh from the bullpen, I guess you would say. Um, some of you know that Brandon's dad has um, uh, had a blood vessel burst in his head this week and um, is in serious, serious condition in Savannah. And Brandon and Susan have been down there. We want to keep them in our prayers and um, realized uh, yesterday, I realized a long time ago, but I saw it yesterday with my nine-year-old son. We were doing the old softball tournament thing again that I'll fill you in on ad nauseum later. But um, he's, uh, he, we were playing a game and I see him sitting by my wife and he's kind of teary-eyed and, and I just assumed he you know, got in trouble for something. Um, but I looked at her, I was like, what happened? And she said he cut his foot. I said, oh man. So later on I see this like hole in his foot. It was, it was really bad. And, um, and I noticed that, uh, when we were trying to clean it up last night, you know, he, um, he didn't really enjoy that very much. You know, I used the word irrigate and he didn't like that at all. It's kind of terrible to even think about irrigating something with flesh. So trying to pour some peroxide on it, clean it up and he's just alligator tears coming out of his eyes. And I thought this morning about you know, that foot is the farthest thing away from his eyes, and still it makes that happen. And I think about, um, you know, our, our pastor and him going through what he's going through right now, he and Susan and the entire family of, of, you know, some pretty serious issues right now and how it affects the entire body. And we're going to be talking about church today and talking about this hook, line, and sinker and, and who we are and, and being called out by Jesus um, but the, the body is the body. And if one part is affected, the entire body is affected. It affects so many different, um, avenues that, uh, that cross and crisscross within the body. So before we get started, I'd like for us to pray, pray for uh, Brandon and his family and pray for the service and uh, we'll get going. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the beautiful, beautiful weather that's outside. God, we lift up Brandon and his family to you right now, Brandon and Susan the boys, Miss Bobby, Mr. Jeff, we lift all of them up to you, God, for those doctors and nurses. We pray for them and their wisdom. And God, we pray for this day, this day that you have given to us, a day that we celebrate mothers, um, absolutely, but specifically, God, we, we just every single day celebrate uh, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he's done in our lives and what he can do and continues to do in each of our lives. We pray for this service. God, I pray for clarity. I pray that you give me the words to say um, as we move through this service. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So uh, yesterday I'm over in Lyons, Georgia, um, at a softball tournament with the old 12U girls. And um, it's a pretty intense day. Um, started out really, really strong, um, tying the what ended up being the, the number one team in the um, in the tournament, um, and we played through the five teams this time, not three, so we did a little bit better. So five teams, we play all day, win, we tie the first one, uh, won the next three, and then we go to the championship. But during one of our breaks, this kind of strange thing occurred. My 15-year-old daughter um, 
was with a friend of hers, and they were kind of walking around this park. It's a pretty large park. You've been over to the line. It's really nice. A lot of different playgrounds, a lot of different pavilions spread out around. And my wife comes up to me. And she goes, I can't find Annalise. I was like, well, um, I mean, she's 15. Are we really worried about her? Is there something else going on here? But anyway, she, um, she said, we just can't locate her. She won't answer her phone. So, all right, well, let's you know, see if we can see what's going on. So about 10 or 15 minutes, we begin the searching. And, and the more people that go, have y'all found her yet? It kind of escalates the situation a little bit. And we all started to get really worried and, and worried and worried and, um, you know, my wife is starting to get a little teary-eyed. The other mother of the other girl is starting to get teary-eyed. And I'm like, you know, 15, they're all right. But you know, a 15-year-old is supposed to have an extra appendage called a cell phone. And it usually never leaves their sight. And she's not answering it. It's not off. It's just ringing. So, I mean, all these things started going through our minds. Somebody take them. This, what, I mean, what actually happened here? What's going on? So we searched and we searched and we searched. And finally, one of the parents of, of one of my uh, team members kind of waves at me and he's over by this um, playground set and these two girls are just up in there chatting inside the playground set so she comes out my wife and I get to her and my wife's already in, in kind of tears and, and Annalise looks like oh my what's what's wrong she starts getting teary I not know what's going on but she made this statement she said I didn't know I was lost I I, I didn't know and she was being honest. She was just sitting over there where we had left them after lunch. They hadn't moved, hadn't gone anywhere. But we were like, we've been searching all, this place has been turned upside down. We're about five minutes from calling the law and reporting you missing. She goes, I, I didn't know. I said, you're right. So we talked through this and it was, um, it was pretty intense to say the least, but, but we were passionate about finding someone who was lost. We were, we were all passionate and people started gathering and the troops started forming. We had a, basically an army out there searching this complex for these two girls. And I thought about, man, what if we had that same intensity and desire, not for an earthly thing, but to find people who are lost and lead them to Christ? Because we get intense about things. And yesterday I kind of learned this lesson, eh, kind of the hard way, um, I get, I get really intense about softball and baseball. You know, I played through high school, played in college, kind of the same storyline that, that Brandon has. And we share a lot of those things in common. We even coached together one year, but um, we don't do that anymore. A lot of the eight-year-old boys, you know, they went home crying and we got called out on that. And uh, we just kind of, we hate to lose more than we like to win. I mean, that's just all there is to it. And um, so... I'm out there yesterday, and I mean, we were we were doing so good. We were playing hard. So we get to this championship game. It's the fifth game of the day. We are, I mean, everybody's just drained, wiped out. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I got to preach tomorrow. I don't need to scream and yell. Um, you know, Brandon kind of decided yesterday during the day, just just go ahead and do it. I need to stay down here, and that's fine. So I, I didn't really have a lot in mind for what we were going to talk about today. So I'm just filling time with stories. No, I'm kidding. Um, but what 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 went on in that situation is in that that big game the very first inning we get out there and they wax us in one inning it's like nine to one the girls come off and during this whole inning i'm like hitting the fence and i'm like come on throw the ball to the right place they're throwing it all over the field and i want to go out there and like snatch a knot in somebody's head and i'm just getting so intense and so intense and through that in, they come off. I said, girls, you got to remember there are two teams here. 
They're two, two of the best teams, them and us. We're one, two. And I was trying to get them fired up, get them pumped up, and I was intense. And then my phone buzzes, and it's a text. I'm like, who in the world's texting me during this game? I was getting irate, and I'm going to read you the text because I think it's important. It was from my wife. It said simply, please keep your cool. I love you. That's just wrong. In every way, every part of that is just wrong. Because I sat there, I'm thinking, man, you're not over here doing this. But then the more I started thinking about it, I was like, I just want the best for these girls. I just want them to do the best. I've seen them do good all day long. And now this, and then I think, this isn't about you, but I like to win. I hate to lose. And I really want something for them. But in the grand scheme of things, they just wanted something to eat after it was over with. You know, it was all over and done with. Except for some of them, we got, you know, the whole girl thing. They're 12 and 13 years old. They're like satanic at times. I'm not really sure what happens with you ladies. I'm confused because we got three outs. It was an intense inning, had a great defensive play. They come running off the field and my, one of my outfielders is crying. I'm like, why are you crying? She goes, I don't know, coach. <sighs> what I, I don't even know what to do with that. My boys on a baseball team, if they're crying, there's like a bone sticking out. That makes sense to me. I understand that I'm crying too, but that hurts. That hurts. But none of my baseball players come off going, man, he called me a name out there. No, but they don't ever do that. They punch them and let's go out and eat. You know, it's just over with. So I got, so I just get real confused about that. But that intensity that I have for softball is, is I'm going to talk about a little bit later about the, the comparison of that. But that intensity we had searching for my daughter and that intensity after that game, I want to have that same intensity and share my faith. I want that for you as well. I want that for our church to share our faith, not just I got to get them to church so they can get saved in the service. That's so secondary. Yes, let's invite people to church, but we got to live something out. We're going to talk about that today. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is actually, he has done all kind of miracles. He's told all kind of stories. This is a pretty intense time for him right now. And he's getting to the point where he's about to call out, call out the 12 disciples. So Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, let's read that together. Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits so they could cast them out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. Now, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are the 12 disciples. They're listed here in this text by name. They're the faithful ones. They're the core members of Jesus' church. For all practical purposes, they're the church council. I mean, they are the junk. This is the inner circle. These are the men who get things done, the true builders of the kingdom, the real followers of Jesus, the workers. But this list does not include all who followed Jesus. Time and again throughout the text, we read of great crowds following Jesus. And oftentimes, 
will even, they'll even refer to people as disciples. But the thing is that often these other people, the text tells us, would fall away. And that was either because they couldn't accept what Jesus was teaching, some difficult teaching about the kingdom, because he was not becoming that revolutionary leader that they wanted. Or it may have been even because sometimes he wouldn't be their personal miracle machine. But countless times in the text will tell us of great crowds of disciples, followers of Jesus, nameless disciples who would eventually leave the church of Jesus. Then Jesus would retreat with the twelve, the disciples who are named, the faithful, the core members, the steadfast, the workers. And it gives me some comfort that Jesus, the Son of God, struggled with the church just as we struggle with the church. A lot of things have not changed. A lot of the problems that he faced have not changed today because the truth is in most every church, there are those who are named and there are those who, at least as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, are nameless. There are those who are the core members, the elders of the church, the the true builders of the kingdom, the real followers of Jesus, the disciples, the workers. And then there are those we may know more by face than by name. They prefer to remain anonymous. Their involvement as disciples is limited. And often they just fall away. Either because of some conflict or some change they don't like. Early on in my ministry, I remember working in a church over in West Georgia. And I was three years into ministry, really. And got over there with new pastor. And we began to talk one day. And he said, I need to ask you about something and help me work through something. I said, all right, what you got? He said, well, this family, before we got over here, gave $30,000 to the church to redo the church library. I'm like, woohoo! that helps the youth ministry. You know, I'm thinking $30,000, I could use that. You know, I could buy a lot of stuff for the youth ministry. He said, but it's for the library. They want to redo the library and, and put all this pretty stuff in there because it's used so much, you know, that's sarcasm. And, um, I'm thinking, okay, what, what, what's the deal? He goes, well, I just don't feel like it's right for someone to give money to the church and then dictate how it's used. I said, all right. Still, I, I mean, I'm just not really following him. Don't care, to be honest with you. And um, he said, I think we need to make a decision. And we began to pray about it. And I was learning from him and, and learning why this was important, for one thing. And um, we met together. We met with some other folks in the church and, and, ca- and came to the conclusion. He said, I think that we need to give the money back. I said, ooh, that should go well. Um, why don't you do that? And you let me know how that goes. And because uh, these were kind of movers and shakers in the church, as we call them, um, some of the money people. And, uh, and but we were new there. We didn't really know them. But people were telling us, you know, we needed to kind of handle this gingerly because they may leave, you know, and, and we didn't want that to happen. And um, I didn't because, you know, the church paid for me to eat. And uh, it was important to keep those people there. That was my mindset. So we came to this conclusion, let's, let's give the money back. So they cut a check from the church. We call this family. They come in and we meet with them. We say, we explain the situation and said, I know y'all want this to happen, but we just feel like it's not um, in the best interest of the church for you to kind of dictate and the problems that have been in the past. We just want to offer this money back to you and hope that things will be okay. But you don't want our money? 
Well, it's not that we don't want your money. We just don't want the things attached to it. Okay. So they basically packed up their little ball and they left. And they said, well, we'll go to a church that wants our money. And we said, well, don't let the door hit you. No, we didn't say that. I wanted to say that. And it was in my mind. I guess it's the same as saying it. But I was like, go, go, you know, just go on and leave. And it kind of shaped me through time to understand that, you know, people's attitudes about those things are not that important. People, I've seen people leave over chandeliers or fluorescent lights, the color of carpet, where the pew is, where their name is on the pew. All those things are, 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 are just moot points when it comes to the kingdom of God. But people leave churches over it. A lot of you left churches because this is a new church. Obviously, if you were going to church before, you probably left a church. So a lot of us have that type of thing in common. Now, sometimes God moves in their hearts. They're changed. Their faith is restored and they gain a name. They become builders of the kingdom. But more often than not, as far as ministry and actual building God's kingdom, they are not named. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Flip back a page to chapter 9 in verse 35. And this is where Jesus kind of... is the, the, pre, the prelude to calling these men out. 935, then Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest this is where i see jesus having the same issues that we have he knew that the harvest was much bigger than the workers and from the beginning from the beginning of jesus ministry he was planning for that we have got to work diligently as the workers to reap the harvest because it will always be larger than the workers there will never be enough workers to go around now, you might feel uncomfortable with some of the things that I talk about today, and that's okay. Um, but for others, you may be tempted to kind of puff up, be a little smug and go, you know, I'm a, I'm a connect group leader. I'm working. I tithe more than that guy. How you know that? I don't know. Um, looking in the offering bucket, maybe too much. Um, or I, I greet guests. That's why I wore my shirt. Want y'all to know what I do. And... Sometimes we get caught into that trap of thinking what we do is a little bit more important than somebody else. For various reasons, though, we don't all participate equally. We don't serve equally. God doesn't call someone to do something and call somebody else to do something. And then we look at that as, as equal. Some are leaders, some are teachers, some are givers, some are all those fruits of the, I mean, all those spiritual gifts that are laid out in the New Testament over and over and over. Not all of those are equal in our eyes. Because we Americanize it, we business mind it, and those just aren't equal. Somebody in front of people, we think it may be more elevated. Or those who have more money, they can do more than I can. But those are lies that we tell ourselves. The thing is, God loves all of us. God loves the faithful as well as the faithless. Everyone can't serve equally. Now, I've concluded that most Christians don't share their faith because when it comes down to it, I don't think we have the guts for it. I don't think we have the guts for it, the courage, the desire. We think, well, I wasn't gifted with evangelism, so I'll let those who are gifted with evangelism handle that. 
That's not really how it works. Our faith is our faith to be shared, not to be owned. Simply we say, I was this way. Jesus saved me. Now I'm this way. The end. And we don't ever do anything with it. The sad part is you and I know their names. We know the names of the people who don't know Jesus. We work with them. They're in our families. We know their names. You know their name. I know their name. But my question to you today is, do they know your name? Do they know your name? Do they know you as a connection to God? Do they know you as a a person who can connect them to something eternal? The people who have no connection to God. These are men and women who are spiritually lost until they receive Jesus. They are blind according to the scripture and they are dead according to the scripture. We talk a lot about going from death to life. Death on this side of the cross before we know Christ is dead. We're blind to the spirit. We don't see the things that other people who know God see. We're blind. But when we come into life from death to life, we are alive in Christ and we can see clearly as to what God sees. That's a cool transition. Something that not a lot of people get to experience. But we carry the responsibility for sharing that with those people. The people who live with little hope and no purpose. Who are alone. Searching. Who've been beaten by life. Who simply exist from day to day. Who don't know that this life is not all there is. Do they know your name? Or how about the people who don't know they need God? Who believe that they're bulletproof. Who live only for themselves. Who believe that money and success and things is all that matters. But who will one day, either in this life or the next, find that their life was actually empty and meaningless? Do they know your name? Paul said in Romans, there's no one righteous, not even one. Speaking of himself and all of us, none of us are righteous. None of us rise above anyone else. Do these people know your name? What I'm asking you is if you're a disciple with a name or not. Or if you're just an unnamed follower who really doesn't do much for the kingdom. Who may come here Sunday after Sunday or some other church Sunday after Sunday. And that's what you do. Check in, check out, and move on. Are you really being called by God? Do you know that Jesus knows your name? And do others know your name because of the one he's given you? What I'm asking you is to take a personal spiritual inventory today. From God's perspective, from the perspective of the field, which is in great need of being harvested. Are you a worker? Are you a worker? Or do you have a name? Now, the problem may be that you believe you're not good enough, not talented enough. I just don't know how to share my faith. I, I, you know, my story's just boring. I got saved when I was in the womb and I hadn't sinned since then. And it's just not exciting. You know, I'm just jealous of that guy who was in prison. He smoked crack and he beat up people and, and killed a man. And, and I just, I want that story. No, you don't. That's stupid. When we meet Christ, that's the same for all of us. We've gone from death to life. No matter how death you was. All right. That was a horrible sentence. But no matter how bad it was before you met Christ, 
When we make that transition, when we give our life to Christ, it's the same for all of us. But in our minds, again, as humans, we think it's elevated or not. Or we think, oh, mine's just boring. But everybody's got a story. And every story is miraculous. Because God has taken you from death to life. So I wanted to look at some of these disciples. Because if you think about it, have you ever really looked at them closely? Because they're, they are jacked up people. I mean, every one of them that Jesus chose, he was a terrible administrator of, of looking at applications and, and weeding out the ones that are like, you know, taking pictures of themselves with their phone in front of the mirror, you know, like with beer bottles behind them. You know, people do that. I don't know if you ever looked at applications. I'm not going to tell you how I know that. But, um, but people do that kind of thing. You're like, I don't really want them working for me. Or you go on their Facebook page and you're like, whoa. I don't need you doing that on the weekends if you work with me during the week. That's what these guys were. I mean, these were hardcore fishermen. Think about it. They're a ragtag group of fishermen who was, one of them was argumentative, boastful, cut off a man's ear, cussed, denied Jesus three times. Peter was, he was a winner, right? I mean, let's go after him. That's the guy I want. He needs to lead us. Or how about the tax collector who was seen by all of his family and friends as a traitor of the faith? Tax collector? What do we think about the IRS? Woo! Yes! Love me some IRS, don't you? So last year, end of the quarter, I pay my taxes. It's like $2,600. We didn't have Christmas. But um, it's neither here nor there. Um, Take up a love offering later for my kids. Um, So we were, we paid the taxes. We got all that done with. But in February of this year, get this little letter in the mail, that certified letter. He has the Department of the Treasury return address. When you're holding it, you're like, oh, what is this going to be? If he's going to take everything we've got. That's exactly the letter it was. There's a lien on your property, or we're going to put a lien on your property if you don't pay these taxes. I'm like, didn't we mail this like five months ago? We look back through our records and everything, find the cleared check that we had written to the IRS. I'm like, okay, maybe we're off the hook here. We'll just call them, right? (laughs) Yeah, that works. Um, So... I call my CPA and I'm like, I'm going to send you this stuff because they're, you know, fixing to own our house. And I'm not, you know, I'm not really good at sharing with the IRS. And I don't think there would be a shared thing. I think when they take it, you don't get to have it anymore. Um, so anyway, we, we go through this process and come to find out it had gone through the bank and had been deposited in somebody else's account. Unrelated to the IRS, I might add. Just somebody, some sinner's random account who wouldn't be honest enough to say they had an extra $2,600, okay? Because if $2,600 shows up in my account, I notice that, you know, because $2,600 is more than the 50 that's in there. I'm going to be like, oh, wow, we won something, you know, but I'm, I'm probably going to check into that and go, before I go, you know, buy this boat, will you tell me if this is my money or not? So anyway, we've gone through this whole thing. Get it think it's cleared up last week we get another letter there's a link same thing new date <laughs> give us a few more days like may 16th they're going to take everything and um so we finally you know figured all of it out and, and and it's worked out quote unquote worked out now um i'll let you know when the next letter comes or if i'm living here next sunday you'll know what the deal is um, oh they moved into the school that's good um but this tax collector We have this opinion about the IRS. We have this opinion about tax collector. That's the guy Jesus chose, you know, and and nothing against IRS people. If you're in here, please don't email me or anything, but you know, nobody likes you. Um, So, 
They don't like what you do. I should say that. You're probably lovely. Um, then there's a thief who actually stole out of the church offering plate. You know, Judas, he just kind of reached in there, took a little extra, was a traitor, you know, traded for Jesus' name to let him know where he was the night he got killed. Another great choice, Jesus. Good choice for this guy, you know. You know, and the thing is that's so miraculous is that Jesus is the son of God. He knew these things about them, right? It wasn't like, oops. He knew it. He knew who these people were, which makes it all the more interesting and all the more miraculous that Jesus can do anything with anyone. Two brothers who were always complaining and had their mother approach Jesus about sitting at his right hand. Yeah, it's a Mother's Day present, right? Mom, go hook us up, see if you can get us to sit by Jesus after we die. They weren't the cream of the crop. They were not the chosen ones. Because Jesus was not as concerned about who they were as much as who, they knew, who he knew they would become. And all they had to do was follow, and follow they did. When all the other nameless disciples fell away, they remained. Jesus sent them out with authority, all of them, even Judas. Look again at chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 5. This is the authority that Jesus gives to these men. Jesus sent out these 12, instructing them as follows. Do not go to Gentile regions and do not enter any Samaritan town. Go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not take gold, silver, or copper in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker deserves his provisions. Whenever you enter a town or village, find out who is worthy there and stay with them until you leave. As you enter the house, give it greetings. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or that town. Jesus gave them the authority to do everything. Even thinking through, some people aren't going to accept this, but feel free to move on. It's not our responsibility to save people. It's not our responsibility to cattle herd them in or tie them up and bring them to a service. It's our responsibility to live a life of Christ and for them to know our name. This messed up, no talented group of ragtag disciples, the ones with a name, were given this authority. The Gospel of Mark, it tells us they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and they healed many people. Luke says they preached the gospel from village to village, healing people everywhere they went. These no talent, misfit disciples who Jesus named. If you know Christ, you are named. I believe strongly this church has been named. Connection Church has been named by God. I know that his hand is on this church. Who has a 600% growth rate these days? It's not bad, right? Who doesn't want 600% growth rate? Does that mean it's because we're awesome? No, I think that we're doing what God's called us to do. I think we're preaching the word and we're preaching it honestly. We've baptized hundreds and seen them go from death to life. I'm going to ask if, if you 
have come to know Christ in the past four years, four or five years, because of someone or something related directly to Connection Church, would you just raise your hand? That's awesome. All over the room. That's awesome. <laughs> Have the same thing. The same thing at 9 o'clock this morning. I mean, I, <clears throat> I put that question in there because I knew it was like a sure thing. And, and we also did a, when you raised your hands, we snapped a picture so we could get you signed up for giving. No, I'm kidding. Um, but God has named this church. He's named a lot of churches and he is indwelling in those churches. But it doesn't have anything to do with his choice. I think it has to do with our obedience. When we're obedient to God, he favors that. He brings blessings on that. And I think churches that struggle, churches that are, are in trouble and um, financially and leadership-wise, there's something inside there that's not right. And maybe that's a, an indictment, but I think it's the truth. Absolute truth. Now, there are a couple of lies that I want to share with you. And after I did this this morning at 9, um, John Irvin and I were talking, and, and we were talking about these, these lies. And um, I think I ripped them off of somebody, and I didn't give them credit this morning. And we're not, we kind of narrowed it down because I guess I've heard those before, and, and I have too. It's been a while, but they, I think they came from uh, an evangelism seminar that was taught by Perry Noble from New Spring Church in, in South Carolina. We've kind of narrowed it there, so there's your hookup, Perry. Here's your credit. Um, If it's yours, if it's not, so be it. Um, But there are a couple of lies that I want to share with you that we tell ourselves that I think keep us from sharing our faith. The first lie is this. Christianity is a private issue between me and God. It's a private issue between me and God. That is a lie. Jesus did not come down to this earth... die a gruesome death on a cross, hang naked in front of everyone, get chastised, crucified, died. He did not do that for us to come into an air-conditioned building and enjoy our faith and leave here and do whatever the heck we want to do. God sent his son down here to indwell in us and give us a faith that's real that pours outside of us. It is not for us to own, it's for us to share. And it's so easy to take that grace and go, oh, gosh, thank you, God, for showing me this grace. I've been so bad, and I need to be saved. But not that guy. You can't do that for him. Look what he did. That is a lie from the depths of hell. And we tell ourselves that, and we do that, and every one of us can admit to that. I know I've done it. Everybody's done it. But that is not the truth. He died for the world. He did not die for just me. And he did not die for just you. Our faith is not private. Personal? Absolutely. But it's not private. The second lie is this. Well, let me go back. We're willing to talk about a lot of things when it comes to that privacy thing. We are so intent on talking about things openly. We talk about sports. We talk about politics. We'll talk about just, just about anything, right? I mean, guys, you get together, you talk about bowel movements, for goodness sake. You talk about anything, right? Girls get together, you yep, 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 yep. We, we chat, we do all these types of things. We text, we talk about all kinds of stuff. But when it comes down to it, do we really talk about our faith? 
Do we talk about our faith with the same intensity and the same knowledge that we talk about politics? Even yesterday at our games, in between games, I'm sitting with some of our parents. I don't get a lot of time to talk with them. And, and sometimes it's awkward after I've screamed at their child for the last hour and a half. You know, when they sit down with me, they're like, oh, I'm not like you talking to my kid like that. And I'm like, oh, Jesus loves you. And we just move on and let bygones be bygones, that sort of thing. But um, it usually doesn't get, it get that bad. I know it's bad when they come stand behind me in the dugout and I just have to chill out. But I'm working on it since yesterday. And um, so, but also there was this uh, a great thing that happened. <laughs> kind of gave me another perspective too. So we're playing in this game. And the other coach, this is happening to somebody else, not me. And um, this girl on his team missed a ball. And we're like running the bases, just just lapping them. And this girl runs all the way to the fence. She misses the ball against it, throws it in. And the coach is just, you got to get in. And behind him, like up the hill, <clears throat> this guy stands up in the stands and he says, you don't need to holler at my daughter like that anymore. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Something's about to go down here. And I'm like, time blue. Let's just watch this for just a minute. Okay. So then I see the dad walk down the hill and stands right behind the coach. I'm like he's going to snatch him through the chain link fence. This is going to be so cool to watch. It was so intense and our intensity gets that way. And we are able to talk about those things. We can talk about sports. We can talk about that, but Let's talk about our faith. Let's share our faith and not let it be some private thing. Compare it to the things you talk about every day. Think about it around that Mother's Day table this afternoon or wherever you may be at lunch. And you know the names of those people in front of you, but they know your name. Do they know the name that Christ has given you? The second lie is this. All religions are basically the same. All religions are basically the same. Jesus is just one way to God. It's a lie, folks. I've been through so many different things in my life of, of swinging to this, this liberal feeling, this conservative feeling through seminary, through, through studies and education and trying to figure out how, what is the right thing, God? And, and this word that always pops up is that tolerant word. And the more I've broken it down in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I don't have to be tolerant. I need to be respectful, but I don't have to be tolerant. Because nowhere in this text does it tell me to take a bomb and blow up as many people as I can so I can have 75 virgins in heaven. It ain't in there. That's not what Christ says. That is not a religion. That is a belief. That is not Christ-like. For those who have these other faiths who say, it's just another way. All paths lead to the same God. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and those other guys too that will come after me. He never said that. Jesus is the way to heaven. I'm not telling you that. This tells me that. I'm just letting you know what I read. All paths don't lead to the same God. I kind of wish they did, though. Because I'm burdened by those who believe so intently and so strongly in another faith that I feel very strongly is not right. 
I'm burdened by those folks. I'm burdened by what may happen. You know what my prayer is when it comes down to it? Man, I hope it leads to the same place. But I don't think it does. It's a lie. It is a lie that all religions are basically the same. I don't think Jesus would have made that statement. I don't think he would have been that intent. And I don't think he would have died on a flipping cross if there was another way. Even he said it in the garden. God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if your will be done. And God's will was to send his son to die for me and for you and for them. All of them. Frederick Buechner is an author who writes this story. He talks about this woman who's been singing in her church choir for as long as anybody could remember. I don't know about y'all, but my home church is in Brunswick, and I go down there sometimes, and I look at their choir, and I'm thinking, those are the same people that were in there when I was in high school, and they look the same. I think there's formaldehyde in the choir room. Or they just, they roll them in and roll them out. I don't know how it works, but it's the same people. I'm like, how old is she? And I think that this is kind of the same story. This woman's been in the choir forever. She's decided she's going to hang it up. She's hanging up the robe. She's done. She's not retiring, mind you. She's quitting. Not just the choir, but the church. Beekner writes, if you ask her why she's quitting, she says, no one cares. She goes on to say, I sat up there in the choir loft this morning, looked around at the other choir members. I looked at the minister and the worship leader. I looked at the ushers. I looked out over the congregation and I said to myself, what has haunted me for years, who cares? And what the woman was really saying is this is not a church. Well, Beekner writes, you're wrong. This is a church. In fact, I go to different churches all the time. I grew up in churches. I see people all the time who reach out to other people who love people who are not like them, who sincerely love and care for people, who do their best to be like Jesus. She said to me, where? I said, everywhere I go where there are people who care, not just about themselves, but about everyone. They care and it shows by how they reach out to people who are hurting, by how they witness their faith to others. She said, oh, really? I said, really? She said, name some. What I want to know is, can I give her your name? Can I give her your name? Because not only does not thinking we are good enough or smart enough or talented enough that keeps us from serving God and reaching out to those in need, But just not caring or caring about our own personal gains is what really keeps us from sharing our faith. The people who don't know Jesus, who have never had anyone care enough to tell them about Jesus. Who are dispossessed, who are friendless, who are alone, who live with little or no hope. Can I give them your name? The people who don't believe they need God, who live their lives attempting to find happiness in just about anything else, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, 
whatever it may be, things, toys. And with those or without those, they're going to die without Jesus. Can I give them your name? Please let me give them your name. Today as we close, I want you to think about two things. One is, you may be sitting here going, ah, Jesus has not given me a name because I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him for him to even give me a name. And this is not about Tim, Bob, Tammy, Fred, Wilma, whatever your name may be. That's not the name he has for you. That's the name your mama and daddy gave to you. Jesus has a new name for you. A new name that when somebody looks at you, they go, wow, there's something different about you. And you can explain to them, yes, because Jesus has given me a name. He's named me. This is not about working to get to heaven. This is our response because of what Christ has done in us. He's promised to save us just by believing. But as I preached two weeks ago, a change has to happen. Something has to happen in your life if you've really become a follower of Christ. And it's, it's up to us to show that. It's up to us to tell people and show them how to do it. And it's both and. We can't tell somebody how to do something and show them something else. I can write out in detail the mechanics, every move, everything that has to be done to turn a double play. I can write it out. And it looks good and it reads well. But if I hand it to somebody who's never played ball before, it'll be foreign. But if I get up there and I show them, and I show them how to receive the ball at second and drag that foot and turn that double play, they can see something. That's the way we're supposed to live our lives. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to go to that table out there and sign up to be in a service place within Connection Church. Maybe it is to be in a connect group. Maybe it is some type of summer missions this year that John talked about earlier. There are all kinds of opportunities. They're not things to just fill gaps because we don't need anything from you, but we want everything for you. And we mean that. We don't need anything. We want something for each and every person who is listening to this today or is in this room. We desperately want that. So there's things I want you to think about as we pray. Our prayer team is going to be over here to my left, to your right. If you want to know Jesus today, maybe this is the day you do that. They would love to pray with you. Or maybe you need to come to this altar during this song that we're going to sing to close and just say, God, I need to know what my next step is. And you're totally clueless. Walking down this aisle, you're still clueless. You get down here, you're still clueless. We can help you with that. Try something. Who knows? You get an awesome shirt for free. Where else does that happen? Well, a lot of places if you think about it. But these are more awesome. You don't have to wear a name tag either. Wear a shirt get a shirt find a place where you can serve maybe you're called to children maybe you're called to missions maybe you're just the the most awesome greeter ever maybe you can point and park cars that's my favorite sunday of the month i love parking cars you know i just you get into it you can swing your head and do a little elvis stuff it's awesome i don't have to say anything 
I can just smile and thinking, man, your car's dirty. And just park you. Yeah, whatever opinion I want. Don't I speak to a soul. Let God lead you in doing that. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful, God, for what you've put in our hearts. I know, God, from the look on people's faces that, that you're dealing with them right now. There's that, that thumping going on in, in people's hearts right now that they long to, to be obedient and follow you. And God, as we continue this series of hook, line, and sinker, we pray that today launches that, that we are the church, not in this room, but when we walk out of here and we indwell in this community and we change this community because of what you've changed in us. God, I pray for those who may meet you for the first time today, that they go from death to life. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in your son's name.